What's up, Story Geeks? Thanks for joining us today on the Story Geeks podcast. I'm Daryl Smith, the oldest geek in the room, and today we are digging deeper into Snowpiercer the movie. Joining us on today's podcast are Story Geeks co-hosts Nick and Justin, as well as one of our favorite returning guests, Helen O'Hara from the Empire podcast. We're always excited to have her on, especially when we're talking about Chris Evans. One quick note about this show There was a little bit of an error with my microphone, so my audio is a little bit hot and overdriven, but uh, everybody else sounds really good, so I apologize for that, and rest assured, I talk the least, so you won't have to put up with it that much. So thank you for listening in. The Story Geeks podcast is produced by the Reclamation Society, and before we dive in, let me remind you to head over to Facebook and check out the Story Geeks Facebook group so you can interact with us there, we can hear what you think of Snowpiercer, and we can continue the conversation. Now let's dig deeper into Snowpiercer. All right, so we're going to dive into Snowpiercer, one of the darkest movies that I've rewatched in quite some time. <laughs> um, so Helen O'Hara, thanks for joining us again. A pleasure. It is awesome to have you with us. I'm not even sure which number appearance this is for you. It's at least half a dozen. Yeah, I think that's about right. I think it must be six or seven. Yeah, so... You're basically just one of the hosts now, so Yay. we're glad to have you. Yet again. <laughs> and Nick and Justin, thanks for being here, guys. Absolutely, always. Yeah. No problem. All right. Well, let's dive into Snowpiercer. Um, you know, first of all, just the high-level question on a scale of 1 to 10, how much did you enjoy it? Helen, why don't you start us off? I mean, enjoy is a weird f- word to use about this film, isn't it? That's and, fair, yeah. Yeah, I, I loved it. I thought it was great. I think it's an eight or a nine in terms of my my regard for it, if you like. Um, enjoyment might be a little bit lower, but um, but I just think it, I, I thought it was brilliant and surprising and and unexpected, even, even having been warned a little bit about what it was about. Um, it was still kind of a, a delightful surprise, or a, a surprise, let's say. Does it gain any specific points for you because Chris Evans has a beard? I mean, so many, yeah. Now, now to be clear, I, I, I don't know if any of your listeners also listen to the Empire podcast where I've talked about this at length. Chris, Chris Evans' beard is very good. It is not the ultimate beard, which is Cap's beard, which is a different being. Totally, yeah. so, yes. Just to be clear, but this is a very good beard all the same. Yeah. Yes, yeah. <laughs> Curtis Everett is not Steve Rogers, and we'll talk no. about that later. So, <laughs> Nick, what did you think of it? Yeah, I agree with Helen. Um, it's so dark and bleak, but I enjoy when a film can have uh, like such an outlandish premise yet reflect reality. <laughs> um, but yeah, I I would give it an an eight on the enjoyment scale. All right, Justin, how about you? I gave it a nine. I think this story. Um, will be wonderful when explored in a TV show. More time to live with the characters and the conditions and the themes. But I loved how much the director and the writer of the graphic novel thought about the world, just how powerful even seeing light and the outside would be to the characters. So there Mm -hmm. were a a number of moments that caught me off guard in, in the best possible way. And I really, like we're all saying, enjoyed it quote unquote <laughs> yeah yeah i agree i i would give it an eight as well um i certainly enjoyed watching it uh for its you know the tightness of the story it's so well done mm. um i think what kept it at an kept it from a nine or a ten for me might have been the ending but we'll talk about that later as well mm. so for now um let me just talk about post-apocalyptic films in general most of them at least the well-written ones have something to say about humanity. So I want to take a look at what commentary Snowpiercer is making um, and how true do you guys think it is. Uh, Nick, why don't you start on this one? Yeah, I mean, like, there's this whole thing with the the sacred engine, you know. Um, There's, like, a belief that we're all part of this machine, uh, like this world machine. We all have preordained stations in life. Um, and some of us are meant to be at the front, some of us are meant to be in the back, and that's just how things are. Uh, there's no, there's no help, you know, for those that are are struggling uh, fr- from the front. Like they just, uh, they expect those in the back to be there for those in the front, but the front 
you know, we're in the front. So uh, that's just how things are. Uh, it's, I mean, it's it's really about like how kind of terrible and brutal we can be to one another and how we need to atone for uh, our past actions, our terrible actions and how the systems we create, uh, whether it's like government or whatever, um, is imperfect. And the leaders we elect are deeply flawed. Even even the good ones are flawed. Um, like Chris Evans' character, Curtis, uh, be, you know, is kind of thrust into this leadership position. Um, and, you know, you think even especially after seeing him as, as Captain America, you're like, oh, yeah, he's the hero. He's the he's the the main uh, leader that's going to lead us to, uh, you know, salvation. But then, like, you kind of find out more about his past. You're like, oh, he's he's actually kind of deeply flawed. Yeah, absolutely. Justin, what do you think? There are a number of things that came to my mind. Obviously, at the beginning, we're focusing on global warming and just environmental mm -hmm. issues and all of us doing what we can to help each other. And then on the train, like Nick was talking about, we're talking about different class systems and systemic inequality and not only asking questions about quality of life, but also just human rights. And ultimately, near the end, and we'll talk more about it later, like you were saying, asking the question, if the system is broken, at what point do we just hit the reset button and mm -hmm. scrap it? Or do we try to work within the system to make small marginal changes? Um, I was shocked in rewatching it how some parallels popped up in this time of quarantine and isolation and social distancing and just not being able to go outside. Um, there were some parallels there. And then there were also some overtones of religious fanaticism. Mm -hmm. The classroom scene, I'll talk about that a little bit later, yeah. but that was just really disturbing. So there were a lot of things that were touched on in this movie. Yeah, definitely. Helen, what do you think? Yeah, I think the, I mean, I think the, the class structure thing is, is particularly noticeable, obviously, um, if you saw Parasite and Bong Joon-ho's other work, mm -hmm. you know, that's something that runs right through his, his kind of filmography. Um, and, and the, you know, the, con the environmentalist concerns kind of as well, if you look at things like Okja and so on. But, um, but yeah, it's, it's, I think, very much most obviously about the class system, but really everything that you've said, it, it is about inequality. It's about the way that we're taught not to question the way mm. things are, that we're taught yeah. to accept it. We're taught there's no other way it could possibly be, that nothing else will work, that this is the only possible explanation. You have to accept it because what else is there outside of this? There is only a howling wasteland. It's literally my way or the highway kind of stuff, you know? Uh, so that is kind of true, I think, of all of us. I think we in the West are very much told this idea that this is the only way to be and everybody else is doing it wrong. And in China, they're told mm. the same about a different system and so on and so forth. Mm. So it's it's a very, um, it's very, very sharp in, in that stuff. And that is all stuff that's there in the comic book, but you can see then why it would appeal um, to this director and this cast to kind of bring that to the screen because they've, they've developed, I think, a lot of those, a lot of those themes even from the comic. Yeah. Yeah, I, th I mean, I think you guys nailed it. I would definitely just echo what Justin said about the eerie feeling of all the parallels of what life is like right now. <laughs> Mm. I feel that way about so many things that I'm watching. I, it's probably just because my brain wants to make that connection. I don't know, but it seems like everything I watch has a dangerous virus going on. Yeah, looking for <laughs> explanations. And we're, we're, we're looking for patterns to explain this because it doesn't make any sense to us otherwise, right, I think. Right, right. Yeah. yeah. I, I would say the only thing that's different is in Snowpiercer, uh, nobody is, like, never alone. Mm. Right. <laughs> right, yeah, you can't yeah. be, except for Wilford. Yeah, except for Wilford. Yeah. Uh, well, we at the Story Geeks love hope and redemption in our movies. And I think those things are in Snowpiercer, but like we've already talked about, we have to go through a lot to get there. So um, Curtis Everett is uh, Chris Evans' character. He endures a gauntlet of dark moments before the film is done. 
And not to just, you know, morbidly focus on the dark, but I'm curious which of these you guys think informs his character the most and why. So, Justin, why don't you kick that one off? I think that the final monologue before he goes through the final gate encapsulates so much of who his character is. So Mm -hmm. we didn't get to see a lot of what I would say is the most informative, but his storytelling and his emotion really allows us to experience the turning point when he is shown an act of selflessness instead of Mm -hmm. selfishness and that that changed something for him and it sounds like changed something for all the people in the tail section he called it a miracle and that more and more people started living very sacrificially to help others survive and so i think that moment when he was shown another way like what helen was saying allowed to question the current system and shown another way that moment and even his hatred for himself for what came before that that was the turning point that allowed us to get to this place where he could be the leader he is today. Yeah. And that, oh my gosh, that monologue is just so painful. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's a great like, performance. It just, is. Yeah. just the line. I know that babies taste best is yep. like yep. Yeah. more, more horrific than most horror movies I've ever seen. It's just, yeah. yeah. Helen, what do you think? Yeah, I, I agree completely. I think it's, it's one of the most stunning uh, speeches and it really sticks with you and haunts you. Mm. And, and I think what's, what's really interesting in it is something that's kind of run through Chris Evans' filmography over the last few years, which is playing with this image that we all have of him. And, and it, is, mm-hmm. it is visible in, uh, it, no, no spoilers, but it's visible in Knives Out. And it's visible in uh, the recent Defending Jacob. And it's, you know, to a much lesser extent, actually, in Gifted. But it's kind of there as well. Mm. This, you know, we have, we look at him and we think we know what we're seeing. And I think, you know, this film shows us that's not necessarily what's there. And it also, you understand that character and you understand some of those, those, you know, uh, throwaway comments that that have been going on through the film where he feels guilty that he has all of his limbs I mean right. what brings a person to that feeling and then of course you hear the speech and you're like oh I get it yeah I understand now along the line of his filmography have you seen the Red Sea Diving Resort <laughs> oh yes no. I definitely saw that yes I mean that maybe that maybe doesn't play with it quite so much that maybe just I mean I, I'm sure there was a story in that film, but it was mostly the eye candy I was there for, I'll be honest. <laughs> Fair enough. That didn't stick out to me quite as much, but I really loved that movie. So, And I, I agree, he definitely has a, a trend of wanting to help others and sort of the personal struggles to get there throughout his films, I think is really interesting. Uh, Nick, what, uh, what was your most horrific moment and how did it inform him? <laughs> Yeah, no, I mean, it's the same, it's the same moment. I mean, the, the story does a cool thing where it seemingly gives you Curtis's motivation up front and like, you don't need a lot of convincing, like the rear car is terrible. Mm-hmm. Like who wouldn't want to rise up and get out of that place? So like you spend most of the film going like, yeah, it's just everybody's sick of being back there. Let's move forward and, mm-hmm. and integrate. Yeah. But the most like informative part is when he unloads that story and admits he's actually one of the worst people on the train. Like suddenly, like everything kind of falls into place for that character. He doesn't, he doesn't want to in, just like integrate the back and the front. He he wants, he wants to kill the man who he feels like made him this way. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, and so you discover his true motivation there and like what he wants. Um, but it's not until he sees the the child inside the engine shortly after that he discovers what he needs and it is to sacrifice himself yeah. to break this cycle. Right. Um, it's, it's interesting that you call him the wor- one of the worst people on the train because that's a big question, isn't it? I mean, yeah, <laughs> there's a lot well, of options I mean, that's, here for that. That's what he believes mm, yeah. himself. Like when he's, um, when they have that brief uh, respite, yeah. Um, and he's talking to Gilliam and he looks at the scar on his arm and he mm. talks about how he tried uh, to be, you know, as 
sacrificial as Gilliam or any of the other people, but he just couldn't do it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. And yeah, so ultimately he he does have to decide to be that person. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I think you guys are right. I mean, that's certainly the iconic moment in the film. I think as a little puzzle piece to that moment that also is really important is earlier when he lets Edgar die in order to keep pursuing yes. his mission. Yes. At the time, you're like, why in the world would you do that? And then later on, you realize like just how desperate he really is. Uh-huh. And when you go back and you see, you know, he's talking about, you know, his experience with Edgar when he was younger being such a driving force in him. And now he's willing to just let Edgar die in order to move forward. So at that mm-hmm. point, I kind of start to wonder, you know, when he moved, when, when he let Edgar die, was he trying to be the hero or was he just trying to get revenge? And it feels a lot more like revenge. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I guess, yeah, it's almost like um, he couldn't, save him and do the mission at that point and had to choose so right so yeah maybe it's, yeah. well it, it would have been over yeah if yeah. he did save him and they would have all been killed mm. right yeah i i get the feeling that he knew what he was doing by going after that leader and so i am wondering if he was hoping that he could get there fast enough to save edgar also but he knew that this action would save more people even if at the sacrifice of edgar yeah, mm-hmm. I think I think there's an element of that. I think it's less maybe of a of an absolute choice and more of a hope that he can somehow pull off another miracle. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Maybe. That makes sense. Um okay, Helen, I did not specifically plan for you to be the first one to answer this question, but it makes <laughs> a lot of sense. <laughs> um so uh like we talked about earlier, Chris Evans has played Chris Evans. That was that was a well, Freudian slip I mean, there. I, I know. What can I say? I'm speaking your language. Chris, Chris Evans has played several characters who we would consider to be heroes, um, but Curtis Everett and Steve Rogers seem to be, you know, kind of the two extremes. So we'll start with you, Helen. What do you think are the key differences between the two? Um, well, it's interesting because they don't necessarily come across as different extremes at first and I think that's one of the the reasons I say that he's kind of playing with his image um, is that you were inclined to trust him you know he's acting like a hero for much of Mm. this Uh, to the extent that anyone can be a hero in these circumstances this Curtis guy seems to be a hero right he's Mm. he's leading a a charge he's uh, challenging an obviously unjust system this is our Spartacus who's gonna you know set things right and, and a lot of that is coming not from what we're seeing on screen, but it's coming from the fact that we know this guy is Steve Rogers. So that's what I think is so, so clever about what everything Chris Evans has been doing in recent years, because you kind of look at him and you're like, well, that's Steve Rogers. Everything's going to be fine now. And if he pulls the wool out from under you, then it's even worse, um, which, of course, is exactly <laughs> what happens here. Because I don't think that Curtis started off as a bad guy. I think he started off as, you know a frat boy kid kind of person getting on this train in desperation. And then he did what he thought he had to do to survive until someone showed him that it was possible to survive another way. Mm. And and I think, I think getting to where he is now has probably been a journey ever since. I don't think it was just that moment, that miracle um, of seeing another way, but it's been a, it's been a, a steady journey of a journey of atonement and, you know, rebuilding himself, I think ever since. Um, mm. And and so, it's interesting that he now seems like a hero, um, but is still so broken and so tormented underneath, um, even to a much greater degree than than Cap, who, as we've discussed at length, I think has <laughs> hidden depths as well. But but I think this this guy puts them you know to shame. I think he's got he's got a, a huge well of pain underneath. Yeah, it's so interesting what you say about assuming he's a hero, because I was thinking about when I was watching Snowpiercer, I was trying to remember when it was released. Mm-hmm. And in my mind, it was released before the MCU ever came about. But that's actually not true. It no. came out after they had already made um, the first Avenger and the Avengers. Mm-hmm. So yeah. he'd been capped twice. Mm-hmm. And I just remember before the MCU, I remember the early days of Chris Evans and I did not like him at all. I remember thinking, <laughs> ah, this guy's kind of a 
like a d-bag like i don't know i just like yeah. i don't i don't like him and then i saw the fantastic four movies and that was just totally reinforced mm-hmm. and then little bits like you know sunshine and things like mm-hmm. that and the losers and things started yeah. to come out and i'm like all right and then captain america and now and now boom i love him he's like tom hanks i'm like yeah. anything mm-hmm. he's in i'm just gonna watch you know <laughs> i i'm actually this i'm actually with you on that i you know, I obviously saw him and thought, well, he's a handsome man, but I didn't particularly like him. I didn't particularly rush out to see his stuff initially because mm. he was playing those, you know, frat guy roles, these kind of like handsome himbos who didn't really have much going on um, on the surface, at least. But but those ones you mentioned, especially the the losers and uh, and Sunshine. Sunshine, he's incredible in Sunshine. He's oh, one of I them MV, MV, MVPs in a film full of MVPs. You know, he's great. Yeah. Um, and then Cap, obviously. Um, I've talked about that at length. So, yeah. <laughs> Nick, what do you think about the differences between Curtis and Cap? Yeah, well, I mean, S- Steve Rogers is like kind of ideal American hero who has never eaten babies in his life. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for clarifying. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I mean, like Curtis's worldview was kill or be killed mm. until he saw compassion and sacrifice but I mean, even that, to- like Helen was saying, it, it didn't totally change him. Um, like he didn't sun- suddenly become a righteous man after that. Like mm. he he tried to make uh, similar sacrifices, but couldn't. Like when he's he's showing Gilliam his scar. But uh, I I I just think, uh, you know, C- Curtis's uh, journey to becoming uh, a hero is much more fraught with. Uh, darkness um, and just being shaped by just terrible incident after terrible incident um, Mm. in close confined train car um, as opposed to um, Steve Rogers who just you know is born with a good heart (laughs) right Um, but I mean you know we 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 still love that about Steve Rogers um, but I think like Curtis um, is a little bit closer uh, to probably uh, not exactly like a typical human being, but I mean, like uh, typically um, like real, real life heroes are kind of born out of real terrible suffering because they, they, they want to, you know, fight against the terrible things that have happened to them. Yeah. Justin, what do you think? Uh, I want to take a step back for a second because the question was making me think through Chris Evans' filmography to figure out what I thought was the furthest character from Cap. And I'm still debating between Lucas Lee in Scott Pilgrim vs. Yeah. the World and <laughs> Ransom in Knives Out. I think they both are, you know, yep. the opposite of Cap. But... The anti-Cap. <laughs> you got to go all the way back to uh, not another teen movie. Oh, oh wow. That's <laughs> not that. Um you him being used for his form and his face just to assume the kind of character that he is in that movie, but yeah. Um but similar to what you all are saying, I think where we meet Curtis in this movie, he has more in common with Cap at that moment than he does different. Even some of the visuals reminded me of Cap in the first Avengers with all the tail end passengers kneeling, but him remaining standing. It reminded me of the moment with Loki. Yeah. Uh, Uh, So when I was thinking through this question, I came to the decision that I don't think Cap would have ever been on this train. I think Cap would have died helping people get on the train. Oh, right. for sure. And that's where we would have really seen the difference between these characters. But then Curtis has the opportunity to save more people and to do some greater good now because of the journey that he's been on that's very different from Cap's. Yeah. Yeah. I, uh, yeah, I won't keep going i think you guys have hit it really well the one thing i will do is i'll tell you why i wrote this question um and helen it wasn't just for you i wrote it before i knew you were going to be on the show so um i wrote it because there's a moment in the movie that i just i mean obviously it's chris evans you see cap it's hard to it's hard to get away from that but there's a couple lines he said or there's a line he said that and i know we have a question coming up about favorite line this is not my favorite line but this is what made me want to ask the question it's the moment when um He's got, they captured Mason, Tilda Swinton's character, 
and mm-hmm. she says, Wilford is divine, Wilford is merciful. And then um, Curtis says, call him, see if he'll come save you. And I was like, yeah. that is cap right there. That is, that is 100% cap, yeah. Can I, can I mention my favorite uh, Lucas Lee line, actually? <laughs> yes. Totally unrelated, but it, it's, it's when uh, uh, Rory Culkin's character hands him a skateboard and he says, hey, big fan. And he goes, why wouldn't you be? <laughs> in his best Hugh Jackman impression. Oh, <laughs> yeah. He's just the worst in that. It's amazing. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, let's talk about some of the other characters a little bit here. There's so many uh, awesome supporting characters in this film. Mm -hmm. So I'd love to go through and analyze each one, but we just don't reasonably have that much time. So I thought we could just hit our top three real quick. Um, So just mention what your top three are. They don't have to be in any particular order and why you love them. So, uh, Nick, why don't we start with you? Okay. Um, uh, Tanya, played by Octavia Spencer, Mm -hmm. uh, she's just so tough and relentless like after she gets she gets beaten up on the ground and her child stolen she is still able to get up and help lift that giant door stopper tube and like she's she says like i'm stronger than any of these people um and then like gets in an axe fight and even takes a moment to have some sushi um (laughs) just like a cool mom character you know it's like if i was if I was uh, stolen by, you know, a bunch of guards, I would hope like my mom would, you know, come after me that way. Mm-hmm. Um, the other one is uh, John Hurt as Gilliam. Yeah. Um, I just, I love John Hurt, like just from Alien and uh, Harry Potter. And like, he's just, he's such a great performer. Um, you know, may he rest in peace. Mm-hmm. Um but, you know, he's another hero in the story that isn't squeaky clean. Um, you know, hearing the story about giving up his limbs to feed people was just crazy. I don't, I don't think I'd be able to do that uh, in that in the same situation. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, the other one is uh, Allison Pill as the school teacher. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> she like propaganda incarnate. Yep. You know, like mm-hmm. you can tell she's not just indoctrinating children. She she really believes all of it. Mm-hmm. Like at one point she was one of those kids. Um, like there's like this one moment where she's playing the keyboard, like doing that, like kind of, I don't know if it's like the anthem yeah. or, of the train or whatever, but it, like the camera is like spinning around and like she has this where she, her eyes are closed but like one eye opens a little bit and her eyes like rolled back in her, <laughs> in her head as she's singing the song. It's just so disturbing. Um, but like that performance is just so like spot on. Um, in terms of the favorite, I don't know it's my favorite line, but it's like the line I like. Oh, we'll I, hold off on that one. That'll, we'll get to that question next. Okay. Okay. So, uh, uh, Justin, why don't you tell us about your three favorite characters? Well, I had Allison Pills, the teacher, on there as yeah. well. She is just a horrifying caricature of a human. And it reminded me of Jojo Rabbit, probably because I had recently mm-hmm. seen it, just how how susceptible children are to stories and to being indoctr- yeah. indoctrinated by adults. And that image of her, it almost looked like she was going to seize when she was singing. <laughs> there, there was something very powerful emotionally uh, to her about that anthem. She, I believe, also really believes it. Um, and uh, having the hand motions uh, and the uniform answers all the kids yelling the answers at the same time it was just really creepy and we've already mentioned that there are elements of religion in this and just how powerful beliefs and groups can be so yeah she's not my favorite character because she's my favorite character but she was a wonderful performance um the painter was kind of a quiet background character Mm -hmm. he acts as a sort of historian through his art but then he also gives those pictures of the lost children to their parents as a way to, I think, help them both remember and also grieve. He doesn't yeah. speak a lot, 
but he has one line that has just been rolling around in my head. When you dream too much of the sun, you forget the trees. And it doesn't feel dismissive to what the father of that one child was going through, but kind of reminding him, we have to keep moving, we have to keep going. There are other things in life, you know, here's a picture, let's remember, but we have to keep going. Don't only linger on that and let that be the one thing that defines you. And just an interesting character to me. And then just from an out and out fun perspective, I really liked watching Gray in every single moment that he was in. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Between how fast he was, his martial arts, the use of knives, um, and that he is uh, bringing the fire. He has the tattoos for communicating. He's so loyal <laughs> to Gilliam. Um, and he saves Curtis when he's on the floor unconscious. Just a fun character. Totally. Yeah. Helen, what do you think? Well, look, favorite is the wrong word here, but you've got to, you can't get past Tilda Swinton as, as uh, Minister Mason because Absolutely. she's just unbelievable. I mean, she is such a chameleonic actress anyway. Mm -hmm. I, like, did anyone actually immediately recognize her, for example, in that uh, Amy Schumer film? Um, which one was it? What do you call it? Trainwreck. Sorry. Trainwreck. Okay, Trainwreck. Yeah. Okay. Did anyone recognize Tilda Swinton immediately in Trainwreck? Did you know she was even in that? Okay, she uh, genuinely, full marks if you can spot her within a minute of appearing on screen, because mm. I didn't. Um, but in mm. this, I mean, again, she transforms herself into this completely grotesque, outrageous character with mm. this broad Yorkshire accent, uh, acting like Margaret Thatcher and just all of my childhood nightmares come back to life. <laughs> uh, she's, she's terrifying and awful and horrible and yet clearly believes what she does she's got that horrible greasy kind of hypocrisy about her mm. and uh, she's just so hateable so instantly and yet so kind of inevitable that yeah she's fascinating i just love her in this um i was gonna say i was gonna say uh, the painter as well but i think you've covered him pretty brilliantly um <laughs> so my third one then is is ed harris um as wilford because he's kind of the devil yeah, I feel yeah. like he is he is all of your compromises come back to bite you. He is the temptation uh, to just, you know, you've come far enough, you've done enough, you've won happy days. Now your reward is that you can join the system, essentially. Mm -hmm. um, and it is it's so um, subversive and so kind of uh, undermining of everything good and decent you know mm. uh it's he's he i think he's the biggest threat without actually having any of the kind of uh physical presence really of the others earlier on you know he's he's the one who could really destroy your soul at the end of the day mm. yeah he he's sort of a similar chris evans type actor to me too because mm. his performance in the rock not oh my that, God. Not that that's a pillar of American cinema, but... Yeah. <laughs> oh, it is. Are you kidding me? But I love that movie, and his performance as in that, that is Ed Harris to me every time. Every time I yeah. see him, no matter how old he gets, no matter you know what he looks like, I'm like, that dude's a badass. Yeah. Mm -hmm. The shower room scene in The Rock is one of the greats. I, I, I yes, love that movie. definitely. And, and with Tilda Swinton's character, I noticed this, uh, watching it again, she mm -hmm. has like these medals yeah. on her shirt. What are those for? Probably nothing. Like, knowing yeah. her character, she probably took them from somebody or something. That's true. And yeah. something on her collar struck me as if she had embroidered it herself. So mm -hmm. I feel like it's just her putting on to the world how she views herself, not necessarily something that was ever presented to her. Yeah. Right. Or if it was, it was, you know, her suggesting to her subordinates that perhaps yep. a medal would be in order. Mm. You know? Ah, I see. Yeah kind of a thing yeah she's one of my favorites too um i think just i mean in addition to everything you already said helen about how great tilda swinton is i think that character is just so perfect to represent the fragility of the structure of the train you know like she she wholeheartedly believes in wilford but at the drop of a hat she will turn on him and do anything that curtis wants because she's in personally in danger like she's this unrelenting zealot but she's also an absolute coward mm. so i think that's fascinating um one of my others was also the teacher allison pill 
Um, I have, you know, just recently come off of watching Picard and watching Devs <laughs> on Hulu, which both of which she's in and she's awesome. And I didn't remember that she was in this movie. So going back and watching this, I'm like, oh, yep, Alison Pill again. She's so good. <laughs> um, my other one, and I'm probably going to butcher the name here, but that's okay, is Nam Gung. Is that how you pronounce his name? Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. Um, I thought his character was fascinating. We've got a question coming up specifically about him, so we'll talk more about him later. But I really enjoyed kind of the mystery surrounding him and waiting to see you know, what his plan was and how it was going to unfold and how that was sort of a slight underpinning of hope to the movie. Like, mm. for me, it was like, we don't know exactly what he's doing, so just hold on, you know, this yeah. might get better. So that was important to me, too. Um, let's talk about lines. So uh, I know I gave you the hard task of picking one single favorite line. I like to write hard questions. What can I say? So, Justin, what is your one single favorite line from this movie? My one single favorite line was Chris Evans asking, how can I lead if I have two good arms? Mm. At, at that moment in the movie, if you haven't seen it before, like Helen said, it's a bit of a throwaway line. You don't really get the significance of it, and that continues to unfold as the movie goes on. Right. And I believe at the beginning of his final monologue, he begins it by asking, you know, do you know why I hate myself? And so there's so much self-loathing in that line. But I love that there's this beautiful redemption arc that he finally does have a chance to sacrifice his arm and that he would not have been able to complete this mission if he had sacrificed his arm earlier. So it doesn't... Yeah justify all of his choices in the past but it does redeem the fact that he has gone on a different path made new choices and now is able to do something that he couldn't have if he had lost an arm earlier i love that line cool helen what do you think um uh, yeah that's that's a bloody great line actually um but i really like the the sort of exchange between wilford and curtis so wilford says that everyone has their preordained position and everyone is in their place except you mm. and curtis goes back with that's what people in the best place say to the people in the worst place mm. um, now that's also quite a cap line i have to say which might be why i like it but <laughs> yeah. um but it is also true i think it's also the kind of stuff that we're told all the time by politicians um you know they 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 kind of blame poor people for being poor uh, when every study shows that that's not the case. You know, it's not that rich people are uniquely better. It's that they got lucky, you know. So I, I thought that was really kind of powerful and, and true, really. Yeah, that one's kind of reminiscent of the last time I was in Germany and saw a man standing <laughs> above everybody else. We ended up disagreeing. Oh, so good. Uh, Nick. Yeah, um, it's uh, when Tilda Swinton first shows up, she gives that kind of big okay. monologue about um, like basically it, what it comes down to is uh, be a shoe. Mm. You know, uh, she's like, I'm I'm a hat, so I belong on the head and you're a shoe. You belong on the foot. I, I don't like it because I agree with it. <laughs> it's just like I feel like for this story uh, encapsulates like mm. the whole um the whole belief of you know the people at the top of this train that are controlling the world the world inside this train is and like she literally puts a shoe on a guy's head as she's freezing his arm right um, outside the train uh it's just you know with that one line it, it gives you all the information you need to know uh just be a shoe yeah it totally sums up the state of the world in that moment um, my favorite line is actually one from Namgung, um, and it's when he and his daughter are looking out the window, and he points out to her some of the snow out there, and he says, the type of snow that's about to melt, a little push, and it falls down. Mm -hmm. Th that's my favorite line, because, I mean, I, I think I mentioned earlier the fragility of the way everything is set up there, but... I just, I love what that says about everything and about the fact that it can change. We can bring it down and things can get better, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Really hope. Um, okay, so I'm inadvertently making us focus on Nam going a lot, so let's keep going with that. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
I always like to have one really random or nitpicky question because that's just who I am. So here is my nitpicky question for Snowpiercer. So when we're introduced to Namgung, he's uh, an addict. And he's, we would believe that he's only going along with Curtis in order to get more of the drugs. Chronal, I believe it's called. Um, but as the film goes on, we as the, the viewers can clearly see that there's more to him than that. And we know that he's got another plan. We don't know fully what it is until they get to the gate and he wants to blow the door out. But he never chooses to tell Curtis what his real plan is until they reach the front of the train. And so, not, you know, not to second guess the story, but I'm just curious... Do you guys think that that was a good choice on his part? Do you think things might have gone more smoothly if he had let Curtis in on what he was thinking? I'm just curious how you think that might have changed the story. So um, um, go for it, Helen. Yeah, I, I mean, it's one of those things where with hindsight, we know that these two guys could trust each other, but I'm not sure there's any way for them to know that before the story unfolds. Um, so it's one of those kind of uh, dramatic ironies or, or, you know, dramatic misfortunes um, that they they can't really trust each other. They have no reason to initially. I think if if he had said to Curtis, I need you to get me a huge amount of this stuff because I can use it as an explosive to get us into the front of the train, would Curtis necessarily have believed him because he's an addict? Yeah. You mm -hmm. know, so I feel like it, it I, I don't think either of them could have really trusted the other until until they got to that point. Cool. Nick, what do you think? Yeah, I mean, Nam didn't have any reason to trust anybody really. Like the, the only reason he referred he revealed his plan at the end is, I mean, they, they reached their destination. And after Curtis told his story, um, you know, he kind of sees that as an exchange, uh, like uh, Curtis tells him his story. So Nam, it's like, okay, well, I'll, I'll tell you my story now. Mm. Um, so I, I, I could see that from Nam's perspective, it didn't make sense to tell Curtis, uh, because I mean, Curtis also has no concept of really leaving the train. Yeah. Um, also the plan is risky. It could kill everyone on board and it does. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Which we will talk about. <laughs> Justin, what do you think? Yeah, I think that they could have trusted each other, but what we see even when they do get to that point of understanding is that they both want to go through opposing doors and don't want to go through the other one. So I'm not sure that revealing that any earlier would have helped anything. Um, I don't think we would have gotten to that place where they were both there, alive, and able to do their individual missions if Nam had fully confided in Curtis with his intentions. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's the reason it sticks out to me is because I think in the end, I think you guys are right. I think um, there's there's no guarantee that Curtis would have been like, oh, good plan. I'm with you, you know, but um, I do think it's interesting because if you kind of get into Nam's head a little bit, he knows that there's no reason he's going to get this guy to trust him, but he knows he can trust the depravity of an addict and the desperation of where people are at in the back right. of that train nowadays. And he knows that that is such the reality and things are so bad that he won't even for a second question whether or not an addict would keep relentlessly pursuing the chance to get more of the drug. So I think that's another cool picture of the state of the world and then why Nam is sort of this little glimmer of hope for what could be. Um, Okay, you guys alluded to the ending. Let's talk about the ending because I'm so conflicted about this ending. This is why it's not <laughs> higher than an eight for me because not because I don't think it's good, but because I just don't know what to make of it. And in some ways, I love that. And in other ways, that frustrates me. Um, so we'll talk about it. But as you, Nick, as you mentioned earlier, at the end of the film, it certainly does seem that all of humanity, except for two people, die. The train gets derailed. It seems hard to imagine that very many people could have survived that. And so it's almost like the rest of humanity is dying so that these two people can go on into a very uncertain world that they're not even sure they can survive in. So um, my question is, how do we feel about that ending? Do you think that sacrifice per se was worth it? And do you find this ending to be bleak or hopeful? And Justin, why don't we start with you? Oh, I am all over the place with this question. Um, so I'm going to kind of 
hold it at a little bit of an arm's distance and try to not treat it as reality because that makes it easier for me if I bring it into reality <laughs> and I'm like, would I actually sacrifice this many people? It makes it really hard. So I'm going to hold it at an arm's distance and treat it as fiction. Um, I, I think that there are so many things we observe about the structure of the train that we can all agree is grotesque and wrong um some simple things like selfishness that tilda swinton wouldn't call off the attack when one of her captains is in danger but the moment she's in danger everyone has to stop there there's inherent selfishness throughout this train the um wilford knowingly willingly repeatedly sacrificing children to this machine again we've mentioned that there are undertones of religious iconography and things in this movie and i feel like this is fundamentally child sacrifice to a, an entity that these characters seem see as divine and that's just horrible and it's fascinating when we go through the train that some of the pictures of decadence are so common to us you know just like a beauty salon or eating sushi they're so ordinary in so many ways but then in light of what the tail section has gone through they feel disgusting that just way more than those people need um the aquarium strikes me as a fascinating metaphor for the train that it's a closed ecological system they only take fish twice a year and when they bring up the 74 percent of the tail section needs to die it's way too mathematical and there's no empathy and there's no humanity in it so part of me wants to believe that you could convince the front section of the train to incorporate with the tail section show some cooperation and let there be a more holistic way of living on that train but when we see the front section fighting on that bridge and it doesn't seem that there's really any reason other than they're strangers there's the other here now going against our way of life i lose any hope that there can really be a different way other than just getting out of the system so i don't think the plan was necessarily to derail the train i think the plan was simply to get out of the train and get outside of it but I don't think that the train continuing is going to solve anything for anyone. So I think that the two kids having some horrible experiences of how not to live and going on to restart society, it feels hopeful and good in this very bleak world. Yeah. Helen, what do you think? So it's complicated. So I think, um, like many moral dilemmas, it really comes down to the difference between Star Trek Two and Star Trek Three. Um, <laughs> do the needs do the needs of the many outweigh the needs of the one, or do the needs of the one outweigh the needs of the many? And I think what's interesting is you see when when Curtis is confronted with what it actually takes to to literally keep the train running, the guy we've come to know. Um, both before and after that speech, but particularly with that speech, there is no other choice he can make. Mm. I mean, it, I think it's like The Last of Us, if, if you guys have played that game. Yeah. I won't get into why mm -hmm. I'm saying this in ca case anybody considers it a spoiler, but I haven't even played it, but I've had it explained to me. Um, but it's by the time you get to the point in the game where you have to make the big choice, that is the only choice you can make. Yep. You mm -hmm. cannot take the other route. You just can't do it. Um, and I think it's the same here. He has, there is no other choice that he can make and remain a human being. Um, and, and so that's why that happens. I don't actually think it's only two people alive. I feel like there might be more. I don't know how long they'll, mm -hmm. they're realistically able to stay alive. <laughs> because, I mean, polar bears can survive quite low temperatures and I don't see how they're going to farm. But if there's enough of them and they can write a couple of cars that can maybe get the protein tanks going. I don't know, man. It, it's, it's, <laughs> it's theoretically possible, but I, th I think it's interesting as a, as, an, as a finale because while it is undoubtedly a bleak film and, and it verges on nihilism and it, it verges on saying 
that there is no way to get ourselves out of the unjust system that we are in as a human race. You know, there's nowhere in the in the world that has equality, true equality between people that, you know, has enough of everything to give to people. You know, we're all in these imperfect systems. Mm. And and so the suggestion in this film maybe is that there is no way out except to wipe out humanity and start over. And and I don't think it goes quite that far. I feel like there is a little bit more hope than this because I don't really like nihilistic films Mm. Um, I'm not going to start in on Joker and what I thought of that last year but that kind of stuff (laughs) generally leaves me very cold can I just say real quickly I enjoy I love listening to you talk about Joker because I haven't even (laughs) seen it like I didn't even watch it because I was so not for it and so when I hear you like like f joker i'm like yes <laughs> yeah i did lay into it a little bit on our review of the year uh, on empire but it, it just that kind of that kind of complete absence of belief or hope in humanity i i find really just a lie i just find it i find it childish and unconvincing and i just don't think it's true i think we are better than that or we can be and and i think that's what this the end of this film actually shows maybe we can maybe there is a nugget of good in us like there was a nugget of good in curtis that can be brought to the surface and and can survive even the long cold uh, and is worth saving um so I, i feel like it's it's both bleak and hopeful as an ending. It, it's it's really dark, and I, I, in real-world terms, I don't know that there's any way that anyone survives for any length of time. But within the world of the film, I, I feel like it's it's actually hopeful. Yeah. Uh, Nick, what do you think? Yeah, the only thing I would add to what you guys have said, um, I mean, I, I, I find it uh, hopeful, um, is that the two people that are left... I would say have the most potential outside of the train, um, especially. Oh, I forget the girl's name. Um, oh, I have it in front of me. It is um, Yona. 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 Yes. Yona. Uh, I mean, she's clairvoyant, so she has. She kind of has an advantage over, like, I mean, if you know, when it comes to hunting and stuff like that, she can kind of see things before they happen or see things ahead. Um, to keep them safe. Um, but I mean, you know, they, they most likely w- would want to live a life better than the one that they, because those, those two characters um, have experienced nothing else but the train. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, it's hard to say whether or not it was worth it. It's like freedom, uh, their freedom comes at the cost of, you know, like hundreds, if not thousands of people um but yet the whole train was being killed off in controlled bursts throughout the train's history so at some point kind of each person would be killed anyway Mm. you know if you look at it that way right um and like the only way to kind of break it all is just to kind of uh get you know out of that train but then there's the other way of looking at it is if the snow is melting, if they kept the train going, eventually, you know, they would see that outside the train and they could stop the train <laughs> and mm. everyone could get out. But uh, would that have changed anything? I wonder. Yeah, that's would that's the thing is it probably wouldn't have changed the, yeah. the societal structure or anything. But in, in fact, it might even make the world worse if they you know, went off and spread out. Yeah. But, um, you know, I think that's, to me, what makes it a, a, a good ending is that, you know, there's all those, like, different possibilities that could be explored. But, like, the main thing is you hope it's the good that comes. Yeah. Yeah, it's... You know, until you mentioned the fact that um, those were two characters who never knew what like life was like off the train, um, that actually helps me a little bit. That helps me mm-hmm. um, sort of lock in my opinions. But um, it's so conflicting to me. Like, I, I see where they're going with the hope. I see, you know, I see Nam talking about how he can see a little bit more of the plane every time they mm-hmm. pass by it, which indicates that the snow is melting. Um and yes the two young kids sort of getting off of there and being able to restart humanity but if i let my mind wander that's a little creepy because 
you know you know what that oh, means like yeah. i sort of get a padme and anakin vibe on that one <laughs> but um <laughs> and then um and then i know we see the polar bear and i don't know if the polar bear is meant to indicate something is surviving out there because helen like yeah. you said a polar bear can survive in an environment that i'm pretty sure a human cannot so that doesn't necessarily tell me you know that's not like the olive branch that's not the bird <laughs> you know the dove it's it's like that's that doesn't mean it's safe so and i'm sure that that's what he was going for you know i'm sure that you know good yeah. stories often do leave us asking those questions you know inception and stuff like that like it makes you think about it more and that's great and i love it for that but i also really like resolutions <laughs> i'm just so <laughs> so conflicted about it but I do think it's a great ending. Um, I didn't throw this question to you guys ahead of time, but um, what are your impressions of the show that's coming out? You know, I think later this month, I believe mm -hmm. it premieres, right? Yeah, I'm excited to see it. I mean, I think that teaser trailer that we've seen was enough. I'm sold. I want to know more. I'm not sure I can take it. It's mm. certainly not something I'm going to enjoy binging on. <laughs> yeah. um, but... <laughs> Because, uh, you know, watching, like, can you imagine watching eight hours of that? My God. Uh, no. Yeah. Because um, yeah. it's too intense. But at the same time, if I can watch it, you know, spread it out a little bit, I think it could be amazing TV. I did. Um, I looked it up on IMDb and, I, you know, the character names are all different. Like, it's mm. not the same named characters. I'm sure there's some mm -hmm. proxies and stuff like that. So is it the same train? I don't know. Because I, I know in the comic there's like two trains. Oh, something. okay. But I don't. I mean, it's called Snowpiercer, so I imagine it's yeah. Snowpiercer. Yeah, because the the comic the comic has a sequel, right? Because it's uh, yeah um, two trains on the same track, but like sort of at opposite ends of the uh, of the circle, mm. if you like. Yeah, I think because it, it's a thing where I, I think the first train uh, has a similar fate in the movie, where mm. you know it crashes, and the second train knows that it crashed and knows that eventually they're going to run into that train. Wow. Oh, whoa. I yeah. need to read the comic. As a comic fan, I'm ashamed oh, yeah. of myself that I've never read it. So I need it's to. A, it's a really good comic. Um, but, the, but yeah, you're right. The, the TV show is set seven years after the, the catastrophe. Um, so that's earlier oh, okay. than, than oh. the movie. Yeah. So we get little pictures of the Revolt of the Seven and the McGregor riots. And so... If it's on the same train, I'm excited to see some of those things fleshed out, but we already know they fail. So it, it sounds like yeah. it will be pretty depressing in some ways, but especially if it's on a completely different train, that'll be really interesting. Yeah, yeah. I wonder if it's going to be like the Dark Crystal TV show where, you know, we know that they're doomed going into it. That could <laughs> yeah, be, yeah. could be pretty heavy. Yeah. Great cast, though. I mean, really looks, good cast. It mm -hmm. looks really interesting, so I'm definitely excited about it. Um, that's all the questions I have. Is there anything else that I just failed to set you guys up to say about Snowpiercer? Anything anybody wants to throw out? Does anybody like traveling by train? Love it. I've very rarely I done do it. I've only gone from I've only gone for like a couple hours. I've never done a long trip. Yeah, I, I, I used to yeah. drive every day to school. Uh, college and uh, I I loved it so much I love not having to worry about like driving mm. <laughs> and there is something magic about like a long train journey so I've I've worked yeah. as a tour guide and taken school groups around Europe and sometimes we do like the overnight train from Paris to Madrid uh, and things like that and, and sleeping on a train is pretty magic it makes you feel like you were in a movie you know yeah. not quite north by northwest we were never quite in the sort of you know um, <laughs> fancy wood-lined accommodation but uh but still there's a kind of romanticism about it and it is kind of magical but of course i wasn't in the tail section uh, right <laughs> so we, we brought snacks so you know yeah. it's a very different thing my four-year-old son is obsessed with trains so I will never show him this movie because, you know, for him, he's more on the, the Thomas the Tank Engine and yeah. Chuggington level, obviously. But uh, yeah, well, that's how it starts, Daryl. And then it ends up I know. The eternal, the eternal engine. I know. I know. What about you, Justin? Anything you didn't get a chance to say? Uh, no, I was going to try to work. So it is somewhere into the conversation. Oh, yeah. And so there it's just way shoehorned. <laughs> so it is. So it is. That works. 
It's one of those great lines like "Make it so." Or <laughs> what's the uh, what's the one from Battlestar Galactica that I'm blanking on? So say, so we, say all. we all. Thank you. Yes. Good. <laughs> we all <grief>. said it. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, before we go, um, Helen, would you just remind everybody mm-hmm. where they can find Empire and talk a bit about what you guys are doing over there? Uh, yes. Yeah, so uh, EmpireOnline.com is the website. Uh, we have a much better, like I'll be honest, the website's in a not great shape, but we have a much better magazine, Empire Magazine, which is out every month. And you can buy it in the US as well, yep. um, I believe. Uh, so that can be, well, once you're, once Barnes & Noble uh, are open again, if they're not open at the moment, check out there. You can do curbside um, at some of them, so you oh, can okay. still get there. <laughs> Fantastic. <laughs> Um, and then we have uh, the podcast as well. So you can find that through the website uh, as well, empireonline.com. Or we now have a subscription service for our spoiler podcast. So this kind of thing where we go into depth on a movie um, is now behind a subscription wall. I know, controversial. Um, <laughs> but that's on glow.fm slash empirefilm. Very cool. Well, thank you again so much for joining oh, us today. Pleasure. I don't know who else we would talk to talk to about Chris Evans. So I know. I'm I, if that's my duty in life is to be your Chris Evans correspondent. I mean it's a burden but I'll do my best. Okay. Well, <laughs> all right. Well, we'll let you know when we get to the uh, defending Jacob podcast. Well, I guess that doesn't really fit into our demo, but uh, no. no, we're going to do the Chris Evans beard podcast. Yes. We'll we'll, we'll rank his beards. <laughs> it's like Cap's beard and then a really really long gap. Right. And then all his other beards. Yes. And then a really, really long gap, and then all everybody else's beards. Yeah. <laughs> I think that's fair. I think that's fair. <laughs> Nick and Justin, thanks for joining the guys. Absolutely. Yeah. Thank you. Well, that is it for today's show. Special thanks again to Helen O'Hara from the Empire Podcast and Empire Magazine for joining us today. Please head over to Empire and check out everything they're doing over there. They are awesome. And, of course, thank you to Justin and Nick for joining me as well. Be sure to subscribe to the Story Geeks podcast on your preferred podcast provider so you don't miss any of our upcoming shows. And as I mentioned at the beginning of the show, please head over to Facebook and check out our Facebook group where you can talk about things more, leave comments, interact with the hosts, and we've got a whole lot of other conversations going on over there well. So please check that out. Thank you for listening. And as always, question everything in your favorite geek stories and always seek the truth.